now, but let me go, please, to Irish Jesuit uh, Tony O'Reardon, SJ. And he's been receiving uh, widespread coverage uh, for his work with the Jesuit refugee services in Syria following the earthquake, which has claimed almost 34,000 lives in Turkey. And a further 20 million are homeless there as well, without shelter or medicines. He's also a University of Galway alumni, and he joins me on uh, the line today. Good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Thanks for joining us uh, today. How bad is it? Um, It's as bad as you can imagine. Um, Before the earthquake, uh, people here were talking about the situation being uh, hellish. And now we're in the deepest levels of hell with uh, more physical destruction, uh, the whole infrastructure of supporting life, food, income, uh, shelter uh, decimated and and leaving people terrified as well. The the experience of the earthquake and the aftermath um, just made a deep deep impact because it was a near death experience for the whole the whole region and the whole city. So there's that whole psychological aftermath as well. And again, Syria wasn't a very it wasn't in a good place before the earthquake. So is it is it just worse again? Yes, I mean, before the earthquake, I was here in Aleppo uh, just a week, uh, the Monday before the earthquake, and I was talking to some of the colleagues here, and they were describing the situation then as hell, because people were struggling for food, they were struggling to uh, keep themselves warm, they were struggling for access to healthcare, uh, they were struggling for a sense of, of, a, of future, and then the earthquake came, and it has just compounded that situation um, so it's it's immensely difficult, both materially and and uh, at a psychic level, to to bear another whammy. The, the people have had ten years of war, they've had the global pandemic, they've had a grinding and crippling, crashing poverty, um, and they had a cholera outbreak just a few months ago, and now an earthquake. Um, people kind of wonder when when is the asteroid going to hit us? You know, they, these people have suffered so much and they've endured so much and they're they're resilient. And I, I, I have the hope that we can we can walk together with them through this, but uh, it will need a lot of help and support. And can I ask you, Father Tony, are you safe there? I'm safe, um, but just to take this call, I, I have stepped away from uh, a young man. He's a he's a father of two two young children, um, and he and his wife and his brother, uh, their home was destroyed, and they're staying on the the floor of a church hall, um, and you know his whole life and their home was just destroyed, and um, you know he's he's trying to stay strong for for his family, but you know he's he's struggling. Um, but then it's how how to move on from from this kind of emergency uh, setting and to try and reestablish his life. Um, so I'm safe, but there are there are thousands of people uh, who are who are really really not safe. Um, they're not safe in terms of protection from the cold, getting nourishing meals, and the impact of this the the, the psychological trauma of this. And can I ask you, how did you manage to get from being a, the alumni of University of Galway to um, working in Limerick and, and, and making a difference there uh, and then going to Syria? How, how did this come about? 
Um, I guess it came about because uh, I, I graduated in in 1991, and uh, a, a shout out to all the the class of 1991. And if any of them can support us um, in the work here, please please get in touch. Um, but uh, two years later, I joined the the Jesuits, and um, this has given me, I guess, the pathway to being in Limerick, being in uh, East Africa and South Sudan. And uh, I was asked uh, um, just over two years ago to uh, would I would I take charge of the operation here in Syria? And um, I was actually it's kind of funny the the weekend before I was asked on the Friday I was being missioned maybe to Galway for a few years. And I was gearing up to go to Galway. And then on a Monday morning, um, I got a phone call asking, actually, the plan is changing. Would you mind going to Syria? So <laughs> I, I've lost out on going to Galway um, and I've ended up in, in Syria. But it's a, for me, it's a, it's a privilege and a blessing to be here. It's hard. Um, I'll, I'll not hide that. But there's an amazing um, character and, and nature about the, the Syrian people. Um, they've done nothing but welcome me. And uh, it's a privilege to be part of the team that I'm working with. Um, and uh, to be here at this time, um, to I think I think there's some contribution I can make at a personal level through the, the strengthening of the team. Um, mm. can and, I, um, we'll talk about how people can help you in a moment, so we will. But um, from... Syria's point of view, are there many Catholics in Syria? Yeah, so before the war, the, the, the population, the Christian population was about uh, 15% um, because of the the exodus of 8 million Syrians. Uh, the, that population has is, is gone down significantly. Uh, no one actually knows the numbers, but it's, it's probably closer to a quarter of what it was. Um, so the numbers... The numbers are really small, but I think it's, as they say, it, it's it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And here, like the Christians are a very mobilized, energetic, outreaching group. Like so the, the group I'm working with, uh, we're, most of our work is with the uh, non-Christians, Muslim and Druze and, and Alawite in eastern Aleppo, which has suffered so much. Um, and there, you know, there's a, a huge energy uh, in the in the Christian community here. It's it's very difficult for for them because their families are split and scattered around the world. Um, but there there is amazing commitment. Like one of the people just a few meters away from me now, uh, he has he and his family have Canadian passports because they fled there, but they've come back uh, to be with the people. Um, they came back a few years ago. And they they want to stay. Um, mm. So this is the level of of kind of commitment um, that that people have made to the country. Can I ask you to just? I mean, um, when this when the day after the earthquake, uh, there was an appeal made um, for clothing and otherwise, and there was a local Turkish barber uh, that was taking them in. Within a couple of hours, he was snowballed and couldn't handle anymore. Um, what is it that? And how can people help? Is it just, is it getting money into your system that you can distribute and make life different for those that you're painting a picture of this morning? It is, yeah, it is, it is getting cash, cash, cash to us because the, um, the market here is able, is functioning and we can get access and get the, get the kind of goods that are, are needed. For example, uh, in the early days, there were a lot of uh, clothing and jackets arriving. Um, but what we were hearing from the people we were listening to is 
you know, I have two winter jackets on me now, which is really good. But you know what? I haven't had a shower in 10 days. I would really like some underwear um, just to feel comfortable. Um, so we sometimes um, just having the flexibility of responding to the needs of the people as they emerge uh, is better. And, and having the cash to do that is probably the best support rather than having the a warehouse full of maybe uh, jackets and blankets that might not be necessary. And we're... We're moving into from winter. It's really, really cold here at the moment, but hopefully um, winter kind of finishes very suddenly here. So hopefully in another week or two or three weeks, hopefully the winter will finish and, and, and so blankets and things will not be as necessary. Um, but the needs for food, the needs for access to medical care, the needs to provide for uh, therapy for children, these kind of needs um, will, will, will be best met if we have cash uh, in our hands to... And to it, uh, support. It, it's the best way of getting cash to you to go online or can they drop it into the Jesuits and Sea Road in Galway? Which, if you They can drop it into the Jesuits yeah. and Sea Road in Galway or they can go online to uh, iji.ie that's the Irish Jesuits International um, and there, or they can make a donation over the phone on 01836 that's 836 um, or the, the online donation uh, system, or they can, of course, drop drop any donation into Sea uh, Road, um, and they'll pass it on to uh, the international office. Okay, so the number for this morning is oh one eight three six six five zero nine. I'll go to I J I I is in Ireland. J is in Joan. I is in Ireland. Dot I E uh, to get further details, and you can make a donation online there. And you're appealing to the class in nineteen ninety one. What did you study in nineteen ninety one? Can I ask? I you? studied what? Well, it was UCG in my day. I know it's now in UIG, but it was UCG, and it was um, I studied uh, sock and Paul and legal science. Um, I think they might be calling it law and politics these days, but it was uh, the class, the sock and Paul class, and the. Uh, the uh, legal science uh, class, and I was auditor of the, um, uh, or treasurer of the Archaeology Society for two years, so uh, there's a great tradition of archaeology in, in Galway, so I'll appeal to those, that gang as well. Um, so I know the okay. class of 91 are one of the best classes that have gone through Galway in the last few decades, so uh, let's let's show all the other years that we're we're, we're a strong, socially active group. Absolutely. Um, now, you've, if, if you weren't the best class at 91, by the way, that went through, I'm in right muck with the University of Galway, so I am right now. So thank you for that, uh, Father Tony. I'm joking. Um, so again, if you want to get further details, go to iji.ie and call them on 086-836-6509 or pop into the Jesuits and any member of the Jesuits uh, in Sea Road in Galway. Can I ask you a very, a very straight question? Is all of what you're seeing in Syria today uh, for the Tony Rearden, is it testing your faith? No, um, no, good. Not so far, anyway. Um, oh, good, good. Because like, um, I guess I, I guess I'm focused on on seeing the 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 response of people. Like the, I'm thinking of so many people. Like one that just comes right to mind is uh, a, an engineer uh, who has probably not slept since the the time of the earthquake because one of the great needs people have is to assess the damage to their house and to have some reassurance that their house is safe so an engineer is a really valuable commodity here 
and he's given like just all his time and when he's physically with you he's on the phone as well um and he's just one of several people that i have seen respond and um listen i i think life is full of challenges and disasters and I, the the god i believe in is where these things happen god's power superabounds um so um i could be theorizing about why these things happen and um but i kind of focus on let's let's respond now and um i guess i'm i'm i feel part of and and uh, seeing and and being kept motivated myself by people who are ground down by all this tragedy and they're still able to get up every morning feel motivated and even concerned for other people around them um so that's the god i believe in the god who responds to human suffering um so um my faith in in that is has not changed um all right listen so. Well, keep up the good work again. Can you help us on this one? Because Tony and the crew out there, for the Tony and the crew out there and the Jesuits can help. 018366509, the Jesuits in Sea Road in Galway, or IJI.ie uh, for the details. When you're home, pop into us because you have other interesting stories to tell of life that you've gone through. Uh, so when you're home, pop into us and uh, we'll start lobbying now so we will certain people like the likes of Pat Coyle and others in the uh, Jesuits to get you into Galway in the next couple of years so you can have a you can reminisce uh, on, your, on your time as a student <laughs> and I actually the other people I should call out to I, I spent two years uh, working in O'Connell's Bar in um, in Air Square and uh, there's some wonderful customers from, from those days and I'm sure they have the good the bad news is there's a tragedy in Syria the good news is they have money in their pocket to help and was that when the lady herself was running it that wasn't when the current owners you're going back to 19 no that was when uh, Dave O'Connell was was uh, was running it uh, at the time uh, I think that may have uh, changed ownership but uh, that was the great Dave was okay, running yeah, it at no, the time. Dave, it's not O'Connell. Dave O'Connell is the editor of the Tribune. Don't be confusing me now with this state father, Tony. Uh, his, anyway, his son is currently uh, running it, uh, currently. Oh, great. Yeah, so listen, well done to you. You keep safe. Go back and give those family a big hug and tell them the people of Galway are going to do what they can uh, for them. And uh, please stay safe and we look forward to talking to you again. Jesuit Father Tony O'Reilly there. And again, O'Reardon. See, he's been confused there altogether. Um, it's my fault. But again, if you want to get further details, go to the, Jes- the Jesuits back in uh, Sea Road. Give them a ring on 018366509. Dave Lanergan, that's it. Dave Lanergan uh, was running it then. His son is now uh, 018366509. Or go to IJI.ie. Or when Dave was running O'Connell's Bar, if you remember uh, Tony O'Reardon at that stage, and you've a few bob, or you've made a few bob, there was a lot of money made in that pub, so there was. But um, if you made a few bob in that pub at the time, uh, you might be good enough, please, to give it uh, to Father Tony O'Reardon. I just admire the man for the work that he's done through life, but now with the heart of it. And yet he sounds so positive. It's wonderful. It really is. 10.22. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Find our award-winning Irish ranges in store and online at tesco.ie. Hey, very good morning to you. Welcome in to today's uh, programme. Comment lines all open if you want to get through to us. And again, with thanks to Rationale Window, 086 38 33 Let's open the window. It's nice and clear and let him in today. Dave O'Connell, good morning to you. 
Keith, I nearly spilled my point there. I, I thought that I had, uh, I thought I'd accidentally purchased a pub uh, some years ago. Oh yeah, I was kind of, I, I was racking my brains for a second. So I was, and I couldn't. I, 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 I spent get... enough up there. I might as well have bought it at one stage. But anyway, there you go. Well, we're going to have a, we're going to whip around today, sending some money to Father Tony. So I'll be, over, I'll send Marcus over shortly with the with the green bag, <laughs> with, with the group green. four van. <laughs> Listen, not surprisingly, uh, today. And again, I saw it yesterday, you lead with the funerals yeah. of the two young city men who were among the three that were lost their lives in Menlo last weekend. You covered it beautifully yesterday in the Connacht Tribune, and you're covering it again beautifully today in the City well, Tribune. Yeah, thank you. It's, 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 it's a, my God, it's, it's such a, a, a tough story and so tough for the families. A, a, an enormous outpouring of grief uh, both days in Ballinfoyle, but I have to say, uh, beautifully handled by the clergy and by the congregation and by the families, uh, all of the families involved. But yesterday it was the family of Christopher Stokes uh, as he was buried the day after his lifelong friend, John Keenan Salmon. And uh, moving words in particular from Father Kevin Blade, who really has, I, I think he's, he he's got it over the couple of days, and the fact that he knows the families involved, and and there's nothing. Um, it, it's so from the heart everything that he has said yeah, in speaking yeah. about the close close bond of the the two uh, Galway boxers in particular for all of their young lives. And the words that struck me from this is where he said, "They died as they lived together. They'll be buried in the same cemetery, the same ground, and we pray that they will enter heaven together, hand in hand." And there, that is a beautiful sentiment, as I say, from somebody who clearly knew the families and is clearly affected, as so many people have been over the last number of days. So, as you say, it is on the front, and it's over two pages inside as well. And what I loved about it was he went and he spoke to the moms of John Keenan and indeed Christopher Stokes, and he spoke to Christopher Stokes' mom and uh, yeah. told her about the day when he was parish priest over there. And I smiled that he came down at the roof on, on a cardboard box. You know, those I little anecdotes of stories yeah. of divilment, of pure and utter divilment that was in each and every one of us. But Father, yeah. Father Kevin Blade just, as you said, he got it because there yeah. was no point in going into those two funerals and pumping the pulpit or thumping the pulpit and talking about re reincarnation and all that. They were hurting and he was that wonderful voice and well done. But he captured people that he knew. And I think there is huge consolation in that, that when the words come from somebody who who knows what he's talking about and who he is talking about, and as you say, can see the divilment. I mean, the, 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 stories, uh, the, the story as well about John supposedly losing weight for a boxing match and being sent into the kitchen right, in an Olympic boxing club to, to drink water. And he comes out covered in crumbs because he'd eaten half a packet of biscuits. I mean, uh, those are the stories that give those of us that didn't know them an insight into young lives that were lost way too soon, but also young lives that were lived with a sense of, as you say, divilment and fun, uh, as well as everything else. And actually, again, I think there is some consolation in that, is that they enjoyed their lives, even if they were way too short. Absolutely. And the story of when they were, they were uh, practicing boxing and Father Kevin said to them, Come on, lads, and I'll take you on. And, and I forget whether, whether it was the, the late John or the late Christopher said, uh, we, we're afraid to hurt your father. You know, but it's... it's it's. I think it was Christopher. And I, you know what struck me with that as well, Keith, is that he... Uh, and it was it was uh, Father Kevin that said it. 
they always referred to him as Father Kevin. Yeah. There, there was a, a great respect, res- a mutual yeah. respect, I think, between them and, and, and a mutual understanding between them. And I, I just, you know, it's been a dark, dark week. And it's lovely to see those kind of fragments of light uh, shining through. Absolutely. Now you're covering um, the plan to source European money and breathe new life into the city centre. Can we get some of that? Well, I tell you what, I, I, you know, I have to say, and the piece says it as well, the odds are, are, are stacked against us on the basis that Galway, this Galway bid statistically has just a 10% chance of success. But if you don't dream, dreams will never come true. And and this is a consortium of, of Galway organisations and they're the cream of Galway organisations. They've all come together and they're looking for a slice of this uh, European money. It's European Urban Innovation Fund money. And it could, as I say, lead to a, a massive rejuvenation in the city. So it's the City Council. It's it's the Atlantic Technological University, the Chamber of Commerce, Galway Culture Company, the North, Northern and Western Regional Assembly and University of Galway all together coming uh, for this. So there's 50 million euro available through this uh, Urban Innovation Fund. And it's for projects that focus on cultural regeneration of city centres and how to make them more livable. As I say, you know, there's there's a lot in for this. There's 99 applications across Europe. Only 10 of these uh, will be chosen through a competitive process. They'll get 5 million each. But it's well worth the effort. And, and it, it is a dynamic plan. It is coming up with, I think, you know, you'll see it from the story, but it is manageable. And this is the seed funding. This doesn't pay for it. But again, we some of us are old enough to remember what the first rejuvenation of the the the, the docks area of Galway and and down around Merchants Road and how rich and rewarding that was. It would be great to see something similar, and it is from those little acorns that that these big trees grow. Absolutely. Now listen to me. Residents in Shanla are up in arms after seventy apartments were given the go ahead on the old uh, Tio Higgins's uh, site there as well, and you have a pic to go with it, which shows um, Davis Road flooded back in the nineties as well. Well, th- that is it, because part of the problem is that they, the, the residents in Chantilly say that this it's an area that is prone to flooding. Now, this is not the first time that this particular uh, plan has been in the news. There was a, a, an earlier uh, version of this where there was more uh, permission sought for more apartments than this, uh, then 86, ranging in height from three to five storeys. This has now been reduced down from that down to 70. Uh, the, uh, 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 the permission has been granted for this, but a number of residents are now saying that they will appeal against this and primarily it's down to this long-standing issue with flooding on Davis Road in particular, uh, an ineffective drainage system at the, the core of that and it's a saga which, as I say, is fully covered yet again in this story and I'd say there is a twist or two in this tale yet. Now the start of the new League of Ireland uh, season is the big story in sport as well. It sure is, and and it's that it's like it's Christmas Eve for uh, soccer fans. Uh, Galway United finally hoping to get back into the big league this time, and uh, the season starts off with a long trek to Finn Harps tonight. I think uh, off the top of my head, I read that it was a three hundred uh, kilometer round trip, uh, but it'll be familiar ground for United's new assistant manager and the former Finn Harps manager, uh, Ollie Horgan, up there. Well, Keith Kelly is looking at their prospects again. They start among the favourites for promotion, and John Caulfield is confident that he's assembled a strong squad we can only hope so and uh, it's over a few pages in sport today and uh, what else have you got for us uh, there's loads in there, Keith. Plenty more in sport for a start. Uh, Galway Camogie season begins with a trip to Tip. Uh, the footballers hoping that uh, home advantage uh, in Tune will help them see off Tyrone. And there's plenty of coverage uh, of the annual awards night at the Galway Bay Sailing Club. And I'll mention just one other, one other uh, feature. 
it's another uh, Willie Henry stonker and it's on, he's doing this regular series on great Galway characters. So this week it's shoots and it's oh. Nora Krub. And if you're of a certain vintage, you need to know no more than that. Uh, I know their name is very familiar to you and indeed uh, to me. But th- there's a generation who, uh, you know, this is the shot that they don't know who these are. So Schutz, Michael Schutz was his real name. He was brought up in Dublin, moved to Galway. Uh, he delivered newspapers for a living, cycling all over town. And as you know, sometimes he carried this toy gun. And if he didn't have the toy gun, he had his pipe and he pointed and shoot at people. And that's why he was known as Schutz. Uh, it-, it wasn't just Nora crew because there was two sisters Delia and Nora Kelly uh, so Nora and Delia Deline and they were uh, the queens of, of Key Street when Key Street was a very different uh, part of Galway with originally from uh, Long Walk and moved to Key Street in the early 50s they opened their own little restaurant down there in their home uh, and again familiar to generations of Galway people if not the current generation but if you want to get a, a glimpse of uh, Galway in a, a slightly earlier era our era I'm afraid Keith uh, yeah. then uh, uh, there's two pages on that in today's paper. I would remember shoots and I would remember being absolutely frightened, you know what, <laughs> uh, because we'd be in town. God, then, those days you got to go into town handy enough. You didn't, yeah. you didn't have traffic, but if you run, I remember coming up by Buttermilk Walk at one stage where Anthony Ryan's is, and my dad yeah. was with me, and he frightened the life out of me. Uh, but Nora Cruz and, and my uncle and father and, and other relatives, they used to go in there after a feed of pints for um, yeah. crew beans. For the yeah, for long, the well, hence the name. But long before Pat McDonough uh, had dreamt up um, <laughs> how to how to make millions uh, and, and solve all of our problems late at night. So yeah, yeah just different times. Absolutely, you have a lovely pick there as well on page three of a ninety-nine-year-old Philomena Gerrity, uh, Chantilly's oldest uh, citizen at the Chantilly Residents Association yeah. with Mayor Claude Higgins. So it's a beautiful pick. So it is of uh, the two ladies in question, and uh, I must say that. Uh, uh, Philomena looks absolutely elegant as yeah. well as the mayor in that. Listen, well done. You doing that the nice for the weekend? Harry should just enjoy the fact that it's Saturday and Sunday and not Monday and Tuesday. Isn't that good <laughs> enough, isn't it? <laughs> enjoy. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll make a, we're sending Marcus over with the green bag to make a collection over there for Father Tony. And he'll be over shortly. Just, uh, just only notes, Dave, please, if you don't mind, just notes. Well, they can be less than five if you want. Um, Let's just take a short commercial break and we're back just after these and we're looking at the whole situation in relation to Clifton Hospital and the hospital out there as well. And assurances were given in the doll that there is no immediate threat to the future of Clifton District Hospital. Stay tuned for that and more to come. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Click and collect allows you to collect your order whenever suits you. Now let's go back uh, to Christmas indeed, and um, but in relation to Clifton Hospital and uh, the nursing home, which is just around the corner from it as well. Uh, but assurances have been given in the doll that there was uh, no media threat to the future of Clifton District Hospital, despite claims from Galway West TD Catherine Connolly um, uh, of the orchestrated efforts on behalf, on, par- on behalf of the HSE to downgrade it. Um, Deputy Connolly pointed out to the fact that it was closed over Christmas and also in November because of lack of staff and heightened concerns for its future. But she joins you on the line today. And uh, Deputy Connolly, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you were at the public meeting there and we spoke to you around that time as well. Uh, but it's, it's staffing issues. Just it, I, I had another engagement, but I was at a number of meetings, both with the union and with staff mm-hmm. in the health executive and I've raised it in the doll, as have my colleagues. 
um, raised it in the doll. So, and I raised it, I think, just over two weeks now ago as a topical issue. And we've been in constant contact, this office, with the health executive primary care in relation to this matter. Now, as you said, it closed in November. It closed from the 24th to the 27th of November. It closed again at Christmas. And I'm not saying it's under threat. The staff are telling us it's under threat. And the people of the area, plus the health executive, who, who on the day we had a meeting with them going back, before Christmas we thought we had a very positive meeting and as we went out we were handed a press release um, which left us in no doubt that the hospital was in imminent danger of closure. So um, we've been really trying to work with the primary care since then and to keep the pressure on to ensure the hospital remains open. Over and over we've been told different things. Lack of staff, lack of demand, no referrals, no referrals from the GPs, no referrals from the hospital, problems with the union. So a myriad of reasons. So we looked then at staffing and the health executive told us they went on a recruitment campaign in relation to the hiring of nurses. And you probably covered this already, I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, like it was incredible, really. There were 29 applications. 22 were shortlisted, five attended for interview, placed on a panel. And despite, the, I'm reading directly now, despite our, best adver- despite our best efforts advertising the competition, unfortunately only one nurse who will not be available until summer 2024 right. was forthcoming from the interview process. So that's what we're being told. One nurse from that process that was very specifically geared at getting nurses for Clifton, as I understand it. I'm not sure if that's entirely accurate, but that's what I'm being told. Can I just go back to, I mean, yeah. there, there, there is a proposal. It's St. Mary's home that's behind it. And there's, there is a proposal indeed to, to rebuild that. And it's going yes. to take some time to do that. Yes. And it's kind of understood, I think, that the district hospital then will become part of that and all the staff then will uh, will work in the, in the nursing home uh, and the, the, the beds yeah, that well will now, be there. It's good is news that they're going to, it, it, the nursing home is going to be built. That's good news. Yeah. It's bad news that it started out as an announcement for 50 and then inexplicably went down to a 40 bed unit. I, I, I'm still trying to find out how that happened. How do we go from 50 to 40 with a growing demand? In relation to the district hospital, this performed a very special and performs a very special function in relation to respite beds, convalescent beds. And indeed, Dr. John Casey Sr. has gone out on a limb and I'm reading here from his um, call on just on January the 22nd. And he, he talked about a time when they had a geriatric, geriatric assessment, a register, a resident register and so on. And he, and he appeals for the hospital to be restored and kept to serve the vital functions that it should as a hospital that will take the pressure off um, Galway. So it, it's difficult, Keith, when the meetings we've had, and, and I want to praise the staff, and they have met us. Yeah. And they tell us they're doing their best. But somehow I, I have a difficulty with trust that, it is, that, they, that they are absolutely determined to keep this hospital open. Because when you say I distrust, said, distrust is it with the Department of Health, with no, CHO2? with the Department of Health, with the, with the primary care. In, in this way, when you try to establish what is the problem, as I've said, we were told staff. Then we were told 
difficulties with the union over rostering and we heard the union were threatening strike action. Then we were told, which was very worrying, no demand. So at one of the meetings that we had subsequently to the public meeting, the GP was there and um, when the GP spoke, that was followed up with meetings to establish the demand because clearly from that GP they were saying there was demand. Then we're told that in the hospital in the regional there are people there who can't be discharged, delayed discharges. And it would seem that the Clifton Hospital could play a primary role in easing the pressure on the hospital. So I, I would love if we were at a position now following uh, Minister Rabbit, the junior minister's confirmation to me that there's no intention. Uh, I'll just, I just actually say what she said because it was very positive if, if we can take it. Uh, she acknowledges the vital care and that there's no intention to close Clifton Hospital. And I would certainly like to see Clifton District Hospital remain in full operation. I give my full endorsement to its operation, knowing the geography of the country as I do. And she went on to elaborate on how big the county is. And so if I take that as a very positive answer, can we trust that is the question. And if we trust it, what are the steps that now need to be taken in relation to clarifying what the demand is locally from the GPs and from other hospitals for respite and convalescent beds. Clarify, how do we get out of the difficulty of recruiting nurses? Where nurses are leaving the country in their droves. Absolutely. How do we change the conditions to ask nurses to take up this, in theory, what is a wonderful job? Is there housing there for them? And so on. And what are the conditions? How do we hold on to them? Yeah, and have you had, without personalising it, I mean, have you had any conversation with um, the Chief Executive or Chief Operating Officer of CHO2, uh, Breda Crenn-Roche? We, uh, we have, of course. We, yeah. the, the meetings I'm referred to were out in Clifton uh, on that particular day going back. I mean, it's history now, but it was a difficult meeting because we had a meeting for an hour and most of the TDs from Galway West were there and councillors. And it was a very positive meeting. We were actually working together and very positive. It was on our way out. We were given a press release that undermined everything that had been said. And as it turned out, I went off to have a cup of tea and read the press release and subsequently met with Eileen Mannion. And we went and met the management again to say how, how disillusioned we were. Yeah. For an hour, we had been very positive and thought we were going somewhere, and yet this press release had been issued, and that press release had been done an hour before. Now, we had another meeting, and things moved on from that. And I would like to say I have trust in the system. I, I would like to say that, but I really would like a plan now. What, what staff are needed? How do we recruit them? A commitment to keeping the hospital open and a commitment to using it in the most effective way possible to suit the community and to take the pressure off the regional hospital in Galway. That, that's what I would like to see. You see but I, I, like, yeah. Myself and my colleagues haven't stopped putting pressure on the system to keep this open. And as I said, and Rabbit has been very positive in the doll yeah. in relation to it. I, I want to see an outcome. I'm really tired of the the different explanations are like when you started out by saying this the new nursing home is going to be built. That's absolutely fantastic. But that won't serve the needs that I'm talking about. Yeah. Plus we need an explanation of why the numbers have been reduced. But you know, you you, you want to work with the system and you say, But we need beds, we need respite beds, we need convalescent beds. 
we need other type of beds as well and, and people more expert than me like Dr Casey and the local doctors yeah. will outline this and yet we're, we're, we're scrambling to keep it open and we're limping around uh, along from closure to open to closure again and this this t- type of narrative well it'll be okay when we have the nursing home opened it will not well, you see, I suppose what we're saying, what you're saying, is to utilise every asset that we have from St Brendan's and Lockray uh, to the district hospital to all the other hospitals, Port Yonkla and otherwise Roscommon. Utilise them. Uh, where I think th- those say Roscommon and UHG and Clifton, I think they're operating as individual kind of silos. Whereas if all bed stock was taken into account, all bed stock was staffed you should be able to transfer people, say, from Connemara out of UHG and into the district hospital. Absolutely. And you see, the other thing when we ask questions is we're told there are the spike beds in Merlin Park, 13, I think, theoretically. I emphasise theoretically. And there are respite beds in uh, the nursing home in Carrow. But then when you, when, you di- when you dig a little deeper, you find the day centre in Carrow is still closed. The respite beds are not available. Yeah. One could give into despair, really, in the midst of this, but I think about the people that are actually waiting for a respite bed. And in the 21st century, in a country where we're told we're rich and there's no shortage of money, it's time to sort out this madness. What respite beds do we need to serve the community in the city, in Connemara, in the county? And actually, that you mentioned St. Brendan's, which is outside my area. But again, what happened there is just unbelievable. I mean, Councillor Geraldine Donoghue's work was admirable. Mm. Moving a day centre or part of it into a hotel, all of this is really frustrating, I have to say, Keith. On the positive side, the facilities are there. Let's analyse the problem, clarify it and deal with it. All right, let's throw it out uh, to the people and and, uh, see right now because there's um, quite, I mean, people are just coming in saying, yes, we need it, we need it. And uh, Keith, my mother, is waiting for three weeks to be transferred out of uh, UHG to a step-down facility, which is a private um, nursing home. Why can't the uh, beds be used for that? It's a good question. Uh, I'm from the Clifton Clifton area and don't fancy having to go into Galway City to visit my mother uh, every day. You know, they're, they're, that's where common sense comes into it. That's where... And actually, the distance to Clifton, I always underestimate it. I, I say an hour. Yeah, it's But it's not. anywhere between an hour and a quarter and a half. Absolutely. Depending, depending on traffic. Mm. And to put that burden on people who are vulnerable, it's just, it's just unacceptable. And, you know, it's against every principle of caring for a person nearest to their home so that they can have visitors, because at the end of the day, it's visitors, as you well know, and the staff on the ground, um, from the porters to the cleaners, to the nurses and care assistants, who keep the, who keep the person well. Yeah. And, and we're losing all of that in terms of looking on people as objects to be shifted and moved, as opposed to yeah. belonging to a place. I, I don't know, does um, Brida Crown-Roach, um, she's a former nurse and she, she gets it. I don't know, does she see them as just being things moved around? But I, I do think there's a... Well, I think you're, I think you're being fair to Brida Crown-Roach and you're right. I, I don't. But, but that's my feeling generally with yeah. decisions that are made by all institutions and yeah. particularly the health uh, HSC from what I've seen. And I'm there since 2016 and I was yeah. on a health forum before that. Okay. Um, I think individually people are very good. 
the policy is all mixed up. Yeah. On the one hand, we're putting an emphasis on primary care, whereas on the other hand, we're allowing chaos, chaotic situations to Absolutely. develop in the hospital because of, of lack of staff, because of bad decisions on occasions, but lack of staff and lack of beds. Okay. And I mean, sometime I'd love to come back to you about the hospital itself and the decisions that have been made as opposed yeah. to building a brand new hospital in Merlin Park. I but think what we're going to do is... Uh, maybe we, for another day. Yeah, we'll be in contact. We're going to have a round table discussion here with, and we'll get, we'll get you in for that. And I promise it's going to be done the next couple of weeks with a view to figuring that out. Deputy Catherine Connolly, uh, Lasca Hirlock as well, thank you for joining us uh, today uh, on the uh, programme. Your thoughts and comments, please. And somebody asked for a bit of music uh, today and I've just made a little bit of time for it. So I'm going to do this and this and you can shout your heart out and empty your lungs. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Find our award-winning Irish ranges in store and online at tesco.ie.